Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Monsters and Murder. I'm Shane, and this week I am flying solo. So as we've mentioned before, Sam and I are both students back in school. We both have a degree, but we are furthering our education, me through work. So I've been a part-time student and Sam is a full-time student. So she has a couple of summer classes, one of them being a very challenging math class that is taking up way more of her time than she would like, but she is determined to learn it and pass with good grades, which I know she will. So I thought I'd bring you, our loyal and most awesome listeners, some alleged true stories that involve the supernatural that have happened, oh, say, you know, this year in 2023. I don't know what to call this episode. I titled it in my notes, like, this half year in Supernatural. I also thought about, like, Supernatural Roundup. I don't know. These are just some stories. And I will describe what happens, and then I will tell you if I believe them and what I would do in the situation if it were to happen to me. Then after the episode, I hope you'll give us some feedback based on what you think. If you like this style of episode, in addition to our standard episodes, which will return shortly, they're not going away forever. Um, you could do that by reaching out to us on Instagram at monstersandmurderpod or email us at monstersandmurderpod at gmail.com. Okay, let's begin. This first story takes us across the pond to Chester, Great Britain. Now, this could be an episode on its own, so I want to give a little history, but I want to keep it brief to this event. We go back just to a little over a month ago, in the beginning of May, to the ye old King's Head, a 17th century inn that functions as a pub. This place has been featured on several paranormal TV shows, investigated by several paranormal investigative teams and ghost hunters, both professionally and non-professional. The inn draws paranormal enthusiasts from around the world, and they come to see one thing. Described as the haunted doll, more creepy than Annabelle, and Britain's version of Annabelle, but her name is the Grace Doll. Much like Annabelle, who is essentially a Raggedy Ann doll, the Grace Doll is an average-looking doll said to be possessed by a malicious spirit. Now, listeners, I am going to do my best to say doll and not daw, as I sometimes and unfortunately do. I'm sure you've probably heard it in a previous episode, but if you hear it, we all know what it's supposed to be, and if I catch myself, I'll correct myself, but if I don't, oh well, I'm going to try and do my best. <laughs> okay. The Grace doll is kept in a room with a few other alleged haunted or cursed items. The Grace doll is so haunted that she or it, depending on what you want to say, is kept in a locked glass box with chains and ropes to keep it secure and to keep people out who are too stupid to tempt fate and try to release this doll back into the world. If it is locked up, it is locked up for a reason, people. So back to May this year, CCTV at the Ye Old King's Head Pub captured the doll move once again. You heard me. There is other video evidence of this doll not only moving, but apparently communicating with the investigators. In this particular incident, the doll only moved, giving the investigators a good fright because, well, it's a doll and many, many people think dolls look creepy, no matter how innocent they may seem. But in the past, apparently it has also made threats. In 2019, Danny Moss of the television show Paranormal Captured and his team captured the doll on video and recording saying the word burn. When Danny asked what the doll wanted to burn, they called an EVP that came back and said, your eyes, leave her locked up. I'm sorry, if the doll is wanting to burn out someone's eyes, 
It needs to stay in that box. You know, I'd be a little more, I'd feel a little more safer if the box was like just buried and put away somewhere where no one else could ever touch it. This pyromaniac of a demon was also recorded with sounds of knocking on the glass and apparently catching the word release on recordings. Denny goes on to report that some visitors have previously felt compelled to open the box as though something was willing them to do it. Nope, nope, nope. It is under 24-7 surveillance, and the footage taken in May is easily accessible online. Yule King's head owner, Harry Achilles, I believe. Please forgive me if I just butchered that name, kind of like I do when I try to say foreign names and foreign words. He said... Having the Grace doll in the building permanently is both exciting and daunting at the same time. <laughs> I bet. Okay, where to begin? So I absolutely 100% believe this doll is haunted. I also believe, like I said before, that she needs to be locked away and forgotten about. What would I do if I found myself in this situation? Lock it up, bury it underground, Forget about it and hope that it would never, ever see the light of day again. Now, do I do haunted attractions? Absolutely. But there are a few that I do not want to tempt. And there is a part of me that would be interesting kind of seeing a haunted doll. But there are a few ones like the Grace doll and Annabelle that I'm kind of okay with them just being locked up and thrown away. When something is possessed by an entity, particularly a malicious one, I would try to get rid of it so that no one else would have to go through what I did. Giving it away is just cruel. I don't understand how people can sell or give away these haunted objects without telling their poor customer, hey, this might try to kill you. It might walk in the middle of the night, or it's just gonna say really creepy things to you, or maybe try to get your children to do really creepy things. Now that said, I have a friend that I am about to shout out who really, really does not like creepy looking dolls. His girlfriend is one of my best friends. Hi, Sydney. And I totally am guilty of buying a creepy, non-possessed, at least not that we know of, um, doll just to see his reaction. I got one when I think all three of us, maybe four of us, because I know them from the same place where Sam and I met. And yes, I did go and place this creepy looking doll in Sydney's boyfriend's office just to see a reaction. It was fun. And then last year I helped Sydney choose another one because the one I'm pretty sure I put in his office got trashed. And now they have a doll that he finds creepy living in their home, but I'm pretty sure he makes her keep it locked away. <laughs> I say that just to share a personal story. I don't want to come across as mean. It was all done in jest, and he understands this too, because what we're choosing now are not those really old ones that look creepy or all missing eyes. Like, they, I guess they're kind of porcelain, because I find that those look creepy. They have old-timey clothes on, but they aren't the dolls from, like, I don't know, the early 1800s where you really look at what children were playing with and we're like, oh my God, were we really letting them play with that? Or, oh my God, is that a little demon that they're holding in their hand? But we had a lot of fun and he takes it, oh God, what's the word? I can't even think of the word, but he takes it with a good sense of humor, just like we do. He's also threatened that whatever we buy, he might throw away. So it could potentially be us wasting money. We find these dolls at thrift stores, 
So it's not like we're pouring a lot of money into these little gags. And we're really only paid maybe like two or three dollars for these things. Just throwing away two or three dollars like anyone else might do on candy, junk food, and definitely way less money than like alcohol or cigarettes. I do want to say that I would never ever knowingly give a haunted doll to anyone, even as a joke. It's not funny. Yes, I think the older dolls in general look kind of creepy, but I also kind of think certain clowns look creepy, so I don't have a fear or phobia of clowns, and I don't have that fear or phobia of the dolls myself. But that in no way, shape, or form means that I want to come across a demon-possessed doll. I also do really love the Chucky TV series from the horror movies and have never understood how people let that little doll overpower them. The show does make him a little bit more clever, and he isn't just tackling people left and right anymore, but, you know, there's that. Okay. Our next story takes place in the city that I have not shut up about for the past few weeks, dear listeners. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> That's right. This story takes place in New Orleans, and we go back to April of this year. A man who just purchased a home in New Orleans, which, let me tell you, after being there, I am certain that he had to spend quite the pretty penny on this place. Well, he discovered a tombstone underneath his new home. Now, here are some key facts that I pulled from the article to share with all of you. Our unnamed man discovered the tombstone when he was clearing out rubble from his home. The home was built in 1890, so while it does have some age to it, we're not talking about a terribly old home as far as houses go. However, remember, this is New Orleans where many things, if not everything, is haunted. The tombstone reads, Alberta R. L. Perkins, born 1900, died 1978. So this is a very recent tombstone. Well, it's not new by any means. This isn't someone who like died in the 1800s, but it's also not someone who is, you know, who passed away in the 2000s. And it's not really someone who would probably be buried underneath his home. Nothing is impossible. And so many parts of New Orleans were built over graves. Even the graveyards I learned on my trip down there, when they were moved, it is a known fact that in most circumstances that really only the tombstones themselves were actually moved. They didn't move the actual bodies. So as I said, during this time frame of death, it is unlikely that a home would have been built on top of this graveyard where no one cared about the tombstones whatsoever. I'm not saying that still doesn't happen today. It totally 100% does. But a tombstone that recent, as recent as 1978, which I am a millennial. The 90s were my childhood, so this still feels like 30 years to me when I know it's much longer than that. But it's still fairly recent. So it's doubtful that if this house was built on a graveyard, that this would have been the only tombstone that he found. Now, he claims not to live by any graveyards. However, again, I say this is New Orleans, but it is doubtful that the house is on top of a graveyard. So there's that. He goes on to say that it is his and his family and his friends belief that the tombstone was replaced and this is the old one that had been replaced. But even if that is true, he's just going to leave it where he found it to avoid any bad juju or hauntings. When he shared his story with the public on Reddit, not the source where I found it, just mind you, I did read an article from the Daily Mirror, so take both of those how you will, maybe even with a grain of salt because I don't 
truly know how accurate the Daily Mirror is from the United Kingdom. But many people had commented that he should throw it away or get rid of it ASAP. They told him this is exactly how hunting start with one even asking him, do you really want to star in your own personal poltergeist movie? I mean, they kind of have a point, not going to lie. So, what do I say? First, I want to tell you that I do believe that this actually happened or could totally happen to someone, even if the story isn't legit from Reddit or the Daily Mirror. I find it very believable, and while it is odd to let it remain exactly where you found it, I do support his decision to let the tombstone remain on the property. Now, what would I do? Let's say I buy a home, maybe even my first home, which means the housing market has changed from what it is today. <laughs> As I said, I'm a millennial, so if that gives you any idea of my financial standing. But I buy a home and I'm doing work about the outside of this home, and lo and behold, I find a tombstone. My first instincts would be not to touch it. But I would also want and need to read what was on it. I would investigate to make sure that wherever I find it, could not be an actual site of the grave. And let's just say for the sake of this hypothesis that it's not, or maybe this hypothetical situation. Sometimes I use wrong phrases. English is my native language, but it's also English. Now let's also say it's very familiar to the story that I just told. A recent grave tomb or stone was found on my property too late to have been actually under the building since the building was built before presumably the tombstone would have been. The first thing I'm going to do is to research the deceased person. I want to see if I can find some family that still may be local, check my local graveyards, which I know that seems weird, but I am very familiar with my local graveyards. At least I know where they are and have an idea of like the type of people that are buried there. And I want to see what information is out there that I could find. If the stone really was an old one, that was replaced, I would try to return it to the family or graveyard. Um, if I end up having to keep it, and again, I'm assuming that what I found was the old tombstone that was replaced, not one that, you know, was just thrown away or built over or whatever. Um, so if I ended up having to keep it, I, I could see myself kind of either disposing it or honestly, maybe even setting it up on my property as if it were an actual grave, which I know sounds kind of disrespectful. I mean, I could turn it around so when you go to look at it, you would just see the back of it and it will look like a tomb. But when you replace a tombstone, whatever happens to it, is it disrespectful? I don't know. You know, I say this in jest that I would set it up on my property as if it was an actual grave, maybe on the part where I don't want people to trespass. Or if you have not very nice neighbors, like the ones I grew up having, Maybe set it close to the property line to keep them away. Like I said, that sounds awful, but in all seriousness, I would try to properly dispose of it or at least set it up in a respectful way. But the more I think about it, if I tell myself, let's be real, I try to get rid of it regardless of what it was. Like I said, I don't want that bad juju there myself. And like, I said, and I just, I don't know what you do with a tombstone that you replace if it gets too old or something happens to it the old one has to be disposed of some way, right? Either that or the family just keeps it and passes it down to the next family members until one of them decides to dispose of it themselves. That's 
that's all I could think about it. <laughs> all right, let's switch gears and talk about the more monstrous part of our podcast. No, not murderers, though they are the true monsters in the world, as we have always said. But we're going to discuss a creature that is a personal favorite. In fact, I have already covered this creature almost a year ago. So that's right, we're going to talk about Nessie. The Loch Ness Monster might be my favorite cryptid of all time. If we were to draft teams of cryptid, Nessie would be my number one pick. <laughs> so, this year, our first Nessie sighting did not come until the near end of February. It was captured by a man whose name I totally did not look up. And so I'm just going to try to wing it. And dear listeners, I am sorry for how this will come out. I'm going to call him Ian O. Ian O'Fedogan. He's Irish and described as a veteran Nessie hunter. I do not know who described him as that title or if it is self-described. I could call myself a veteran Nessie hunter because even though I've never been to the Loch Ness, I do watch all the videos and news about it. But that is a joke. I kid. <laughs> I know that's not the same. So he was actually at Loch Ness when he captured something stirring in the water. He first caught a long, dark shape near the surface, and then a wake or disturbance on the water. So many minutes later, he captures what he described as a large, white, round disturbance on the surface. This happened further out on the loch, and he added, You may not see a body, but there's definite movement in the water that cannot be explained by natural occurrences. Again, if you go back and listen to the Nessie episode that I covered way early on in our podcast, it was still when Sam and I were both doing stories in the same episode. Um, when I covered Nessie, I talked about like all the sightings and how, unfortunately, probably too many of them could be proven as hoaxes. Um, and that may not seem to be the case today. As I said, this was the first Nessie sighting of this year, and it was also the first Nessie sighting that was recorded by the official Loch Ness Monster Sighting Register. They had not had a legit sighting since October 11th in 2022. Now keep in mind that the Register's rules do prevent some webcab sightings from being accepted, but apparently Nessie had not been seen since last year, and even sightings that they did not accept were apparently few and far between. Like, no one was bringing them any evidence of Nessie in Loch Ness. I like to think that maybe Nessie just needed a winter vacation because, don't we all? Winter certainly is not my favorite season, even though it might have one of my favorite holidays. I just don't like the cold, and maybe she doesn't either. Again, as I mentioned in the episode, I kind of refer to Nessie as a she because, I guess, history. And I just want to think of Nessie as a she. So he doesn't know what's under the water or its true size of whatever it is. But one thing we do know is that these movements cannot be explained by anything that is natural. Now, do I believe that after seeing these pictures that he saw something? Yes, 1000%. I believe he saw something in the water that cannot be explained. And there is only one creature that lives in Loch Ness that we know cannot be explained. Nessie! What would I do if I was in this situation? Dear listeners, I hope I see Nessie one day. I hope I'm able to travel to Scotland and see the lock where I hope to have a Nessie sighting. 
I get super excited. As I said, I love Nessie. I want Nessie to exist, and I want Nessie to be a plesiosaurus that has somehow survived undetected by us humans for all these years. I don't know why I have always wanted this. I am quite certain if I saw a plesiosaurus in real life, especially with that long neck, it might be a little terrifying. I don't like snakes, and those long necks are very reminiscent of snakes, but I still think it would be cool. I don't want to be eaten by Nessie. I would like to survive my encounter. But here's what I'd really do. I'd report it. I'd go to the official Loch Ness Monster sighting register, and yes, I would speak to news outlets and share whatever pictures or videos that I captured. I'm not looking to get famous by Nessie by any means, but I do want the world to know that, hey, there's something out there, and this something, you know, is a little unnatural. It's something that we might not be able to explain, or it's just something that is unlike anything else that we know. And then, of course, I'd share all the details and an update here in an episode with all of you because I want to make sure we leave Nessie be. Nessie is not a science experience experiment, excuse me, and Nessie is certainly not target practice for the military or anyone. Nessie has been around this long without hurting anyone, so as far as I'm concerned, Nessie can continue to exist for all of time. At least that's how I like to think about it. Like I said, Nessie's one of my favorites, and huh, I was very happy to be able to bring another cryptid story involving her, and I hope in future episodes, whatever they may be, we'll have more Nessie news to report. Okay, finally, I want to talk about a video that I discovered. I was watching reels on social media, and honestly, I can't remember if it might have been Facebook or Instagram. You know, it... I don't think it was TikTok, so I don't think I signed up for my TikTok then. Funny story, listeners, I signed up for TikTok with the purpose to make videos. And that is still my intent to do with my TikTok. If any of you guys have found it, which I don't think anyone has, because I only have like three followers and I know two of them. One, let me know, hey, I listen to you on your podcast. <laughs> Same thing if you find me on any social media. You could totally follow me or like me, whatever. Uh, it would be really cool to know that you searched me up because you listened to the podcast. Um, especially if you do try to reach out and say, hey, or something. In that way, I won't think you're like a spam bot. But I don't know where I found it. I was scrolling through all these reels like I do sometimes. It's unfortunately something I fall into some nights. But I found this video here that I want to talk about now. I must preface this with the reel that I watched was not the owner of the video's reel, even though it did feature his video. The video I came across was a young man in his apartment alone, according to him. And there is this aggressive pounding that really sounds more like beating coming from the inside of his closet door. It seriously sounded like someone was inside the closet and angrily pounding their fists against it to get out. And I seriously began to wonder if that door was going to fly off the hinges. So the young man walks over to the closet. He opens it to reveal that it is just a closet with no one or nothing out of the ordinary of what you would expect to find in a closet. And once he opens the door, of course, the noise stops. I also have to say one thing that I didn't notice because you hear this beating in this closet. When he opens it, you expect for at least the closet to be trashed. It's not. Things are the way that they should be. They're straight. You know, nothing's falling down on the floor. There's like nothing is disheveled. So after watching this, I wanted to find out more information. I could only find one article from In The Know about this, 
and here is what I learned. The young man in the video's name is Dominic. Dominic Madigan or Madigan? Ugh, goodness, names, I know, guys. This article was written in 2020, and it calls him a recent college graduate, so we're looking at someone at the age of their early to mid-20s, which is also why I called him a young man. Dominic is quoted as attributing the noise to why he and other people that he lives with are moving. I don't blame them. I did find one more video that is of a different incident from Dominic with the noise. The beating of the door is still happening like it did in the first video. He films it and he shows that he walks through the closet door again. And again, I'm expecting the door to fly off the hinges because the pounding is just so loud and sounds so forceful. He opens the main door to the room where there's an outside hallway in the stairwell. And, you know, you can see that there are other probably apartments. And just in the previous video, once he opens his closet door, it stops. Like there's no one there with him. There's no one outside, like, you know, his main door beating in on it and making it seem like it's the closet door. It's clearly coming from the closet and it just stops when he opens it. According to In The Know, the video has received more than 377,000 likes and nearly 10,000 comments. Many people postulate their own theories, whereas mine, which is that it's an angry ghost. Many people postulate their own theories, whereas mine is that it's an angry ghost. But others, you know, range from airflow issues of an old home to maybe there's just a demon living in the closet. Dominic is still online. If you Google his name, his Instagram page, a page where the videos were originally posted of this haunted home, is no longer available. Even in the In The Know article, the links to the video no longer worked. I did find his YouTube page, and while he has a video up of he and some of his friends exploring what he called a haunted university, most other videos are him showcasing his music attributes and abilities. I bet it's safe to assume that he would rather be known for his music than the guy that lived in the haunted house. I also wonder if when they were haunt if they were exploring this haunted university, if maybe something could have attached itself to him. And then of course he goes home and now for whatever reason it's in the closet. I don't know. That's totally just a theory on my end. Alright, let's wrap this up. That's the story. I do overall believe this one, but I do not know how long that he or any roommates that he had lasted in that apartment without running away if the knocking was what, you know, what we heard and saw was true, or what I should say what I heard and saw are true, because I really have had a difficult time finding these videos again to share. So if you want to see them, you're going to have to do some research on your own. I still occasionally look for them too because I first discovered the story hoping to make an episode out of it a while ago and then I just realized the information was not enough for a full episode, which is why I'm sharing it here. Um, but sometimes I occasionally will look for it myself and I will find the In The Know article with the broken links, but unfortunately I've not been able to find that reel I saw or any of the videos again. So, I think the knocking is rather one mundane thing that spirits can do, but nonetheless they can. And I believe with this type of knocking that we hear and see in that video, that it's a bad spirit. I think this checks out as legit. 
Next, what would I do in a situation like this? Move. <laughs> I know that's not easy, and I also know that's always not feasible. I watch the TV shows. It's always the first thing that everyone tells the poor victims to do, and the poor victims are always just like, I can't pick up my life and move. And honestly, same. I relate to that. God forbid if we ever had a, a haunting in our house that was so bad because I believe there might have been one or two. That's just me. But if it was ever so bad, you know, you can't, particularly after you've just moved in, you can't pick up your life and just skedaddle. And if you can, you're probably too rich anyway. <laughs> I think if I heard this, investigated it, and saw absolutely nothing in the closet, and especially nothing out of place, I'd become super concerned. And if it kept happening, yes, I would run out of the apartment. I'd seek other friends, family, or sometimes just being outside and away from the noise might be comforting enough. I do not think I could stay in that apartment by myself with that going on, but if I had to, I might do the unwise thing of confronting it. Sometimes we've all seen on those ghost shows where people are advised to tell the spirit this is their house now. I might try that in a very calm cool, collected voice and demeanor while trying not to show fear. I would not try the confrontation style of Zach Baggins. <laughs> if the spirit can knock that hard, it might knock me through the wall if I did that. But all joking aside, I do wonder if he was dealing with maybe a poltergeist that, you know, might have come from, wait for it, himself. It's possible, not impossible. And I am in no way placing blame on this young man. Some people just emit so much energy for one reason or another, and usually there is some stress or sadness and even anger involved, where they create this own energy that will knock things over, send things flying across the room, or create noises just like these. And I kind of feel like I just explained that very badly. I can't think of the term or name for it. I've totally seen and heard about it before. But I do know that science has not proven that this type of energy put out is real yet. Um, so that is also too just a theory. And I'm not, by any ways, again, I'm not saying that he calls this oratium at all. If anything, I think there's something in the closet um, that, you know, is probably demonic. I think it has absolutely nothing to do with him. And I would not be surprised if we heard reports of this at some point in the future with new tenants. Whatever's happening, I'd either want to get the answer or get away from it, as far away from it as I could. And there we have it, the end of my solo episode. I hope you guys enjoy this as much as I did, and I did enjoy making it. It's harder to do it by yourself because you have no one to bounce off of. You don't have anyone giving you feedback on what you're saying or to laugh at the very corny jokes that you make, so I kinda laughed at them myself. Not kind of, I did. <laughs> we'll be back soon with our regularly scheduled programming, soon with another episode. Remember, you can reach out to us on Instagram at Monsters and Murder Pod or email us at monstersandmurderpod at gmail.com. Yay, I did it, and all by myself. At least I hope so. If there's an edit in this that I messed up one of those uh, social medias, you know, I'll just say sorry and give you the correct one. <laughs> but let us know what you think. If you feel so inclined, give us a five-star rating, which can be done on Apple Podcasts, or you can just rate us five stars on Spotify and give us a follow on that one too. 
we're trying to get listenership and follows and ratings and reviews up on both of them. And whatever platform would allow you to do so, we would love for you to do that. We'd also love to just hear from you in general. But all right, everyone, as we always say, until next time, stay safe. Bye.